Hello, and welcome to Heidi's Lemonade Stand, where we talk to real people who have overcome real challenges and are making our world better because of it. They have taken life's lemons and are making lemonade. Thank you for joining me. Hi, Kelsey. Welcome to Heidi's Lemonade Stand. I can't wait to get to know you, and I'm excited to hear your story. So start out by telling me just a couple of little things about yourself. My, like you said, my name's Kelsey. Um, I live in Ogden, Utah. I'm originally from Price. Um, adopted. I was actually born here in Ogden and was adopted at 24 hours old and um, grew up in a rural area called Huntington and found myself back in Ogden. So that's where I am today. Wow. And you didn't, did you even know that when you were born and adopted? Did you know you were born in Ogden? When I was older, I found out. Okay. Um, but the way things played out for me living here, it kind of just happened. That is so crazy. I love how you end up coming right back. That's awesome. Well, now you got to tell me more. You got to tell me this lemon yes. to lemonade story. I got to hear all about you. Like I said, I was put up for adoption 24 hours old. My mom was 14 when she got pregnant with me and 15 when she had me. Wow. The decision was made to put me up for adoption. That would be in, um it was decided that would be in my best interest. So I was adopted straight from the hospital and I was adopted through LDS Family Services. And I was adopted by an amazing couple who are my mom and dad that I, they mean the entire world to me. I love them and they gave me the best that they could and I appreciate them very much. Um, with that being said, I did face some challenges growing up. I faced a lot of um and not on my parents' part, but some other family members, I faced a lot of domestic violence, sexual abuse, emotional, mental abuse. Um, I, in fact, and I found found this odd, but I got bullied a lot in school for being adopted. And to me, that never made sense in my head because I was like, well, what did you want them to do? Hide me under a rock? <laughs> yeah. That's you know, crazy. yeah. so I was the baby of the family growing up. My grandma and grandpa were my entire world. They spoiled me rotten. They took care of me. They lived down the street my whole life. So they were, they were a huge part of my life. They both passed away in 2018. Um, so with that trauma and things I experienced growing up with, um, domestic violence and a lot of sexual abuse, I, as I, transitioned into my adolescence, um, those behaviors that tend to show with a child who's experienced some trauma started to started to come out. You know, I started hanging out with the wrong group. I started um, getting too involved with boys for my age. I um, wasn't focused on my grades. I mean, till sixth grade, I was like a straight A student. And then uh, I just hit seventh grade, I think maybe had something to do with like puberty maybe. And like the, the coming of age of things, I started to realize the things that had happened to me a little more. And I'll get into that more later, but I didn't really truly understand the depth of it till I started um, therapy in my twenties. As I grew into my adolescence, I just became um, a kind of a little turd. <laughs> you know, I was not getting good grades. I was hanging out with the wrong people. I was spending a lot of time with boys. And eventually it ended up, I was out messing around in the hills with my friend. Um, I was 15. We were, yeah, we were 15. It's 4th of July weekend. It was actually Saturday the 3rd. And we decided to go 
drive my grandpa side by side up in the hills and just have a good old time. And I wasn't paying attention. We were just having fun, not thinking. And I looked in front of me and there was a super sharp turn and I was going probably 70 miles per hour. And I didn't realize that the road turned ahead of me. So I was looking off to the right and my friend Baca, that was my friend who was with me. She goes, Kelsey. And I turn my head and I look in front of me and there's this turn and I just overcorrect completely. I turn the wheel as hard as I can. I flipped up out over the side by side and rolled. I'm not sure how if she was thrown first or fell out, but I found her under the I got up and I ran to her and I found her under the side by side. So her waist down was under the side by side, not being crushed or anything, but towards the back wheel. And it was insane because like this is this is my part of where my faith and intuition and, you know, the universe comes in is I walked up to her and something just told me, do not pull her. Cause my instinct was, I want to pull her out and hold her and help her, you know? And my instinct said, do not do it. And so I did not And then she pushed herself up off the ground and stood on one leg. And her other leg was just dangling there with her, her, her femur bone, just sticking out blood everywhere. She's screaming that she's going to die. Like she's literally saying, Kelsey, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. And when I see her leg, I instantly pass out and then I hop back up and my fight or flight. I just started running towards town because we're we're not at like an address or a business where I can call 911 and say, hey, we're by this. We're in the middle of nowhere. So my instinct was to run to town. So I'm scuffling for my phone, which through all this just happened to stay in my pocket. Thank heavens for those little 2010 flip phones because it stayed in my pocket and it didn't break. So I call 911 as I'm running. And then I realize the running's not doing me any good. And so I turn around, I head back to her and somebody who had just been listening to the scanner, the police scanner, heard me trying to explain to dispatch where we were and he understood and he came out there before EMS or um, law enforcement made it out there. And then he was able to use his radio. I think he might've been a volunteer at the fire department or something, but um, he used a radio to let, to better describe in a calmer manner where we were. So the ambulance gets out there. This guy has me on the back of his truck. We can't move her. He just had her sit back down. The ambulance gets there and they, um, put us in the ambulance together and we her and I were just holding hands and I was just looking at her like I'm so sorry I'm so sorry I love you I didn't mean for this to happen and so um I really I really beat myself up for that for a long time um she ended up being life lighted to I can't remember which hospital it was in one in northern Utah they life lighted her and they were able to save her leg after lots of surgery she had a um, bone marrow transplant she had skin grafts. She had all sorts of things. Her, um, her femur bones mainly metal now. And she's a freaking trooper though. Like she, I, I beat myself up for years over it and she's been great. Like, no, it's fine. You know, and she's lived life and we're still very good friends. We were best friends in junior high. Um, after that is when I got prescribed pain pills for the first time. So this is where things get start to that snowball really starts to snowball for me. Um, 
my mom, of course, did the responsible thing and made sure that she gave me my pain pills that as prescribed how many ever hours, you know, but I just I loved it, though, when she would give them to me, you know, when I got them, I loved it, but I wasn't educated and I was young and naive and I didn't know. So I didn't pick up a problem with the opioids at that time, but almost a year to the day. By two days later, I get in another accident. And this time it's myself and three friends. One of them was my high school sweetheart. And we were up in the hills again. By the way, I really don't like dirt roads anymore. <laughs> um, <laughs> we were up um, playing around and four of us were in a truck and one other was on a motorcycle. And there was two roads that merged together as one. And the motorcycle was coming from one side and us and the truck was coming from another. And the truck didn't see the motorcycle. So in order to avoid hitting the motorcycle, we overcorrected again. And just, um, I believe they, I, there was no definite way to say, to say how many times we rolled, but um, when they investigated this, the truck and everything, they assumed about five times front over end, just, yeah. You know. So I was thrown again and my foot was just sliced completely open. The top of my foot was folded over my toes. I was looking for my boyfriend, my, he, he was my boyfriend at the time. And I didn't know this, but I couldn't find him because he was under the truck and it had turned out he'd been totally crushed. His pelvis was crushed in four places. His spine was detached from his pelvis. He had nine broken ribs, three of which broke off and stabbed him in the lungs. So they put us in the same ambulance, but they um, they put me to sleep. I think that's what happened because I can't remember. I remember the accident and I remember waking up, but the ambulance ride, I don't remember. And I just know what he tells me. And in the ambulance, they had to, while he was awake, open him up and put tubes in his lungs because they were collapsing. <laughs> so he was also life flighted and I was a devout girlfriend at the time. And instead of taking care of myself, I went to the hospital with him and I just refused to go home. I was like, I'm not leaving his side. You know, he didn't have a lot of support. I kind of neglected my own inner, um, injury. I wasn't changing my bandages correctly and I wasn't taking it as seriously as I should, you know, but at this time I was 16. So um, I ended up getting staph infection in my foot. So my parents take me to the doctor because my injury is seeming hot and not good. And so they take me to the doctor and I had to get IV antibiotics every day for a month. I couldn't walk for four months. It was really, it was a lot. And that whole time I was on pain pills and that's when it really got bad. And my boyfriend got prescribed really strong high pain pills for his injuries. And so it went from we were all me and my friends were all taking these pills because we were we all happened to be injured to we were taking them to have more fun on field trips and taking them to make the school day go by faster and and that sort of thing. So um, that's when I really started dabbling with opioids. And then I turned 18 and I met my sweet who's now my husband. And he was also dealing with substance use issues of his own. And when we came together, it was just add it was just fire and gasoline, fire and gasoline. So I met him and got pregnant almost immediately. It worked out in the end. We're, um, we're okay now, but it was a lot of years of fighting. And when I got into therapy, I realized 
Because, you know, I knew my behaviors weren't appropriate. I knew something in my life wasn't wrong, but I didn't know quite what, you know, and my therapist really laid it out for me and said, like, look, your entire life has been trauma from start to finish. And this is when I started to learn about adoption trauma. Adoption trauma is trauma that's caused when a biological offspring is separated from their biological mother. It's genetics. It's epigenetics. It can't be avoided. Like I had the most nurturing, awesome parents, but that adopt, that separation is inevitable to cause biological damage. Then he explained to me how you know, I went through that domestic of that domestic violence and that sexual abuse. And I was a kid and I didn't have a voice to say, no, this isn't OK. I was just a little girl and I didn't know what was happening to me, you know. And then I get in these car at this that first accident and I feel horrible because I'm driving. And he's like. Basically telling me you don't see worth in yourself because all that's ever happened to you is being beat down despite the great people in my life's efforts, right? Everybody in our life wants us to feel good about ourselves. Doesn't always work out that way. You know, you could nurture someone as much as you want. If their self-esteem is low, their self-esteem is low. And it's something that you, it's a lemon. You got to make lemonade out of it, right? So I got into treatment for my substance use disorder because I ended up getting worse. I ended up super addicted to heroin. I was using intravenously for years. I had overdosed and naloxone saved my life. Um, and they eventually took my kids away. And that was, that was it for me. They took my babies away and my son was three, my daughter was one. And that's when I was like, I'm I got to change, you know, so when I got to say, okay, I've got lemons, <laughs> time to make lemonade. So I didn't want, I got off a drug court and I didn't want to do it. I was, I was terrified of drug court, but it was that or prison. So I chose drug court and I just took my treatment seriously because it made sense to me. Like it, my counselors, my therapist pointing out these things to me, made me realize who I am today and why I am that way, you know? and so. I have devoted and still to this day, I'm six years in recovery on November 1st. And still to this day, I devote myself and my life to getting to know myself and who I am, despite all those things happening, because trauma takes over. It's not just this little whisper. It is a scream in your face. So I learned, I dedicate myself to learning who I am. And as I went through drug court, and I started to learn, I started to fall in love with learning about myself and helping other people learn about themselves. So um, I did three and a half years on drug court and they were th that was probably the roughest three and a half years of my life. And despite everything I had already been through, it was because it is hard to change everything, you know, and then like these people in your life, like are all of a sudden, Hey, you need to be healthy. I need to be what can you define? How do you even define healthy? Who helps you define healthy? I think that's something we run into a lot in just general life is we know the rule is be healthy, right? Or try to be, but how is that? What's that definition? And so I started to learn that all of a sudden, once I graduated drug court, I didn't have that support anymore. I mean, I was going to 
counseling and therapy weekly. I was doing classes. You know, when you graduate, though, when you're done, you're done. You know, I was I thankfully had a therapist who still saw me after that, but it wasn't the amount of support I had before. And so I felt everything coming back. I felt all that trauma that I had fought out of coming back. I lost my self-worth again. I lost my self-esteem and I started pitying myself. That's a place in life that's a lemon that I find often. I want to pity myself because I deserve better, you know, and I've learned how to recognize that and kick it to the curb because my pity on myself is what gets me in that depressive gloom and sadness. It was a year after drug court and I talked to somebody on the phone and just made a decision. He gave me lemons. This person gave me lemons. He said, you want to move away and get out of that situation? Come move here and I'll do that. And it was here in Ogden. And so I was. I took it. And within a three days notice, I told my family, I'm leaving. I'm just going to go because whatever was there, that situation, that dynamic I had been in my whole life had served me what it served me. And there was no more I could do to make it better. And it's a rural community that I'm from, which, and you don't always run to rural areas to chase your dreams. (laughs) There's not a lot of opportunity in rural areas. Everybody kind of does the same thing, very conservative community kind of thing. And so I, I took those lemons and I ran and I got up here and here's another place in my life where there's kind of a click like, okay, things do happen for a reason. You know, the universe for me does play into things. And that was when I'd gotten a job already and it was at a hospital here. I was super excited. I was going to be a behavioral tech in their um, substance use wing. And so I would, um, they said I'd be able to eventually, you know, be doing groups and that sort of thing. But I also, I already had that job, but I had also been offered an interview for a different job. And I was like, meh, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna take it. I already have a job. But 30 minutes before my interview, something said, go to that interview. And so I threw myself together and I went and it's the job I have now. I will be here for a year next month. And it's Utah Support Advocates for Recovery Awareness. Others might know it as USARA. And it has changed my life completely. Like they have given me every opportunity I need to embrace that trauma and embrace the strength that it's given me and use it to help other people, to use my voice and say, hey, you're not alone. You're you're okay. You know, and you're not nobody out there is a piece of crap because of the things they've gone through and haven't figured it out yet, you know, and, and that's the favorite, my favorite part of my job is I get to help people. Here's the exciting part. Okay. You ready for this? This is my favorite part of my story. (laughs) So my biological mother and my biological grandfather both retired from Weber County Sheriff's office. Um, I grew up wanting to be a police officer and had no idea that my biological family was lots was there was two or three police officers including my biological mother and my grandfather i get this job at usara and my boss comes and says hey do you want to look into the forensic position do you want to apply and i'm like forensic tell me more and he says well you would be in the jail working with inmates and as me i I wanted to be a cop growing up I, I, you know, I kind of ruined that opportunity with the whole getting in trouble and having charges, you know, so it was being able to be in corrections or law enforcement never crossed my mind again, because I kind of gave up that dream. 
Well, I applied for the job, scariest interview of my life, and I got it. And so now I'm the third generation to work in the Weber County Sheriff's Office. I'm just a forensic peer support specialist who helps people get help instead of a law enforcement officer. So I take a lot of pride in that. It's it's just fell into place that way to have a job that I get to help people and I get to be in corrections, but I get this happy medium. That's a rare thing to come across. <laughs> now, like I said, now I work in the Weber County Sheriff's Office and I meet with inmates one-on-one. -on -one. I teach groups. I help. And our goal is to change the culture. So my team is the Weber County Reentry team and we're we're doing everything we can to change culture to to change the view on how we see people suffering with addiction suffering with mental health suffering with things that are out of control but can be nurtured into having some control over their own lives and their own mental health and i think I feel like it's my calling today. So I, I, even though I went through so much clear up into my twenties from the day I was born to then to now, you know, life never stops, you know, but I've learned that I am worth something and that I, that I do have a voice that I can say no, that I can say yes, that I can do all the things that I need to do to make lemonade instead of wallowing in my pity and self-sorrow and you know and empower others to do it as well i think that's the most important thing about things like this that you do and things like i do is empowering people and changing that culture of that people just suck people don't suck people are well sometimes they might but people are sick people have issues you know and it's important to that those people have people like us in their corner because without that you know if there's not somebody cheering you on if there's not somebody saying hey i've been there and it's okay then you know where's where's their hope that's how I turned lemons into lemonade is I took the things that have happened to me and I've grown and I've changed and I've learned how to use that to help others. Yeah. You're helping others. I am so proud of you. Thank you, you. could have made some really different choices for sure. And yes. I know it wasn't easy in those three and a half years in drug court. I can't even imagine what you went through. And I just am so proud of you on this end of it. Like, look at you. You're just light you. and you're wanting to serve and help and uplift and share this story so that others can be inspired. So thank you. Thank you so much. You're still here? Well, then enjoy this little outtake from that interview. Just so you know, this yep. is like, you were like helping me fulfill one of my dreams right now because I've always wanted to be on a podcast. Oh my gosh. That's so awesome. Thank I am you. so glad I can do that. And your story would actually be fitting for a couple of other podcasters. I know if you really want to share it again. Yes, I would love to. My my ultimate goal eventually is I would love to be like a public speaker and have my own podcast eventually. So I'm like building my platform right now. And I, I would love to, anybody who's interested in talking to me. I'd I want to share my story. I think it's important to share stories. So yeah, absolutely. I have I have even more. You have so many stories. Like I have the whole story of how I found my parents. Wow. Um, but I found them when I was 17. I Googled my so 
my mom, I'll tell you a brief description. I won't keep you too long, but my mom wrote me letters till I was five and then they closed the adoption. When I was 15, my parents gave me those letters to read and she had addressed me in them as the name she would have named me. So while I was in the hospital till I was adopted, my name, I Googled it one day and I found her because she had made a Facebook page that was in search of me and it had my baby pictures. It had, um, a picture of the only Christmas card she ever sent me. So yeah, I know I kind of left that part out. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So I was, then she introduced me to my dad and me and her didn't get along for a long time because I was using drugs and she was work. She was a cop. <laughs> so, you know, that relationship really didn't work out. And my dad isn't, was in recovery too. He unfortunately is still an alcoholic, but um, he was the one that was like, Hey, come move to Ogden. Um, because your life sucks, you know, and I was like, okay, but I got here and he wholly controlling, like I didn't expect it. He was controlling. He was drinking all the time. He was being awful to my children. Like, yeah. So I, I only, I thought I knew my dad, my biological dad, but it turned out to be just the surface kind of thing. You know, it's different. Talking on the phone twice a week is way different than living with somebody. Right. That's true. (laughs) Well, and and there's a reason why you didn't stay with those parents. Yep. I, I talk to my mom every day now. We oh. didn't for a really long time, but we talk every day. And it's been so healing because she's had so much trauma over giving me up for adoption. And like something people, this is another thing regarding adoption trauma that I'm so passionate about that people don't talk about. People don't understand that when you're adopted, you grow up wondering why nobody wanted to keep somebody didn't want to keep you exactly, and why there had to be a second resort for you. And why, 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 you know, we talk about it now and it's hard and it makes us both really uncomfortable, but it's so freaking healing. You know, it's so healing. I think me and my dad just tried to play this daddy daughter dynamic and it wasn't really, that's not how it really was. You know, you can't meet strangers and then call them your dad, you right, know, and right. that was my mistake. So yeah, I'm so impressed with you. So proud of you. Thank You've done you. the hard thing. And I just, I think you're amazing. So thank you. I have enjoyed spending this time with you. You might have a friend struggling with the same thing that we talked about in this episode that might enjoy listening to this too. So please share this episode because no one is alone at the lemonade stand.